Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. I love that, really all the songs, but that last song there makes me long for that day where we'll, we will all stand before the King. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Every tribe, every nation represented all together in unison, proclaiming holy, holy, holy. We long for that day. Hebrews chapter number 7, we're going to continue our series here through the book of, of Hebrews. We covered uh, really essentially verses 1 down through about verse number 7. And uh, we'll pick up there in verse number 8 and we'll, we'll go down through verse number 10 and then next week we will finish, uh, finish the book, or excuse me, not finish the book, we'll finish the chapter so Hebrews chapter number 7, would you join me in prayer as we just ask the Lord to bless now the preaching of His Word? God, we come to you right now, and I just pray that you would be faithful to your Word. We often claim the promise that when your Word goes out, it will never return void, but it will always prosper in the thing that you sent it to accomplish. So Father, I pray that you would do just that. Even as the author of Hebrews recognize that this topic of the order of Melchizedek, it's, it's, it's a hard topic as he described it. And he has much to say concerning this order of Melchizedek and what it means ultimately for the true priest king Jesus Christ to fulfill perfectly those roles and to stand as our king sovereign over our lives and sovereign over this world, but also to stand in as our great and faithful and merciful high priest to represent us perfectly before the Father, to stand in the gap as our mediator, to make a way for sinful mankind to be in right relationship with the Holy God. I thank you for these beautiful realities that we can see in your scripture. And I pray that once again, these facets of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would become known, that we would cherish them, believe them, and we would walk in the hope of these present realities that Jesus is our King, and that Jesus is our priest, but only for all those who place their faith in the personal work of Jesus. God, we thank you that you made a way, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by Him. Father, I pray that you would be faithful again, that as Jesus Christ is lifted up, that you would draw all men into yourself. Father, I pray for us as hearers, that we would gladly and joyfully receive the truth of the Word of God, and that we would not just be hearers of your Word, but we'd be doers of it also. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning we're going to continue uh, with the same sermon title as last week, the superior priesthood of Melchizedek. And last week we covered the first two of a, a three-point 
series on the superior priesthood of Melchizedek. And in these first uh, 11 verses, or excuse me, these first 10 verses, the author of Hebrews is appealing to the, the historicity of this order of Melchizedek, going back and taking a look back to Genesis 14, where we see this priest king Melchizedek, and we see this interaction between uh, himself and Abraham, and, and the tithe and the offering that was given to Abraham, or excuse me, the, the tithe and offering that Abraham gave to Melchizedek from the spoils of the victory of the war. And so here we are in verse number 8. And we're going to read verses 8 through 10 just to have that immediate context in mind. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. The superior priesthood of Melchizedek. I don't know about you, but there's something very intriguing in life when an unlikely character accomplishes something very great. Whether you call it an underdog or whether somebody just rises to the occasion when it wasn't expected, somebody steps up and accomplishes something great. And when you look at that individual, you say, wow, I didn't expect that. Or I didn't see that coming from that individual. Oftentimes, they're not a superstar. They don't have a well-known name. They're not an influencer on social media. They're just somebody who just has character and they just rise to the occasion and they just do something great. They simply go down in the pages of history, oftentimes very quietly, but their legacy of whatever that accomplished might be, it lives on. Maybe you can think of somebody in history uh, that, that fits that particular description. One particular story comes to mind, and you may or may not be familiar with a particular disease. It's called Reese's disease. It's a condition where antibodies in a pregnant woman's body actually attack and destroy her baby's blood cells. Reese's disease doesn't harm the mother, but in the worst cases, it can actually uh, result in brain damage or even death. In mild cases, it often causes the baby to become anemic and develop jaundice. This is where we insert a very unlikely character into the story, and his name happens to be James Harrison. This isn't my father-in-law. This is a different James Harrison. Uh, but James Harrison is known as the man with the golden arm. You see, through some routine blood work, doctors uncovered that James's blood produced a rare antibody which would go on to prove to be a cure for Reese's disease in unborn children. Once James became aware of this particular antibody that his blood produced, he donated his blood every week for nearly 25 years. It resulted in 1,173 blood donations, which ended up becoming, I didn't even know this was a thing, a Guinness World Record for <coughs> blood donations. It is estimated, this is mind-boggling, it's estimated that James's donation has saved the lives of almost 2.4 million babies. Just a regular guy going in for blood work. Realized that he had a special antibody and that he could do something special, something great. Obscure, 
unique and sometimes even mysterious individuals accomplishing some pretty incredible things. All through history, we have these individuals, whether it's in the course of, of a war or hard times or a depression or, or a, a medical advancement that, again, it was just by God's grace, this individual just stood in the gap and did something incredible. If you'll look back to your app this last week, I wrote uh, a bit of a uh, a teaser, if you will, for the summer, or not for the summer, for this particular sermon, excuse me, as I was wrestling myself with going through chapter number seven and understanding what do we do with Melchizedek, right? It's, it's not an individual or a character in scripture that you just go away at first glance saying, wow, I just, I'm just incredibly blessed this morning as a result of, of reading you know, about this, this guy, Melchizedek in Genesis 14. And I'm just encouraged going away from the word of God. It's, it's not one of those things where it's just an obvious takeaway from scripture that you can sink your teeth into and grow and, and be blessed because of it. So I attempted in that little summary to give us uh, a little bit of glimpse into where I'm going this morning on Sunday morning in preparation, but I hope maybe you had a chance to look at it. Maybe you didn't, uh, but I hope that we this morning can make sense of Melchizedek, that past the surface level of these couple uh, instances where Melchizedek is, is uh, represented in Scripture, Genesis 14 and Psalm 110, we know very little about this man, but yet if we truly look at what Scripture says about him as a type of Christ, looking forward to the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who would come and fulfill perfectly this role of priest and king. There is so much significance and hope that we can take away from this passage here in Hebrews chapter number seven. And so I hope you'll journey along with us as we do just that. Because this little known Old Testament character, often overlooked, undervalued, and oftentimes misunderstood He has much to offer us in our understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So just as the unique antibodies found in the the blood of James Harrison would give life to millions of unborn babies, in a greater extent, to the priestly line of Melchizedek, Jesus would offer eternal life through the shedding of his blood on the cross of Calvary. And if we confess with our mouth, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, there is an incredible promise that Scripture gives us that says we will be saved. This is good news for us this morning, amen? This is incredibly good news for us to remember. So if you remember back with me last week, the big idea of our text, and it will carry it forward to this morning as well, the big idea was this, the superior priesthood of Melchizedek looks forward to Jesus Christ who will reign eternally as both our high priest and our sovereign king. Last week we covered these first two points. Melchizedek resembles Jesus but is distinct from him. We covered that in verses 1 through 3. The second point was Melchizedek represents Abraham before God and blesses him. We saw that in verses 4 through 7. And then this morning, we'll cover our third and final point of Melchizedek receives tithes from Abraham and is superior to Levi. And maybe you're wondering, like I was wrestling through this text, what is the big deal about this priest king Melchizedek? 
And maybe you're, you're looking and, and searching for relevance this morning to your daily Christian life. Well, this Sunday morning, I hope that our takeaway will be this, that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better and he offers salvation to all those who will place their, fin- their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So just a quick summary and then we'll jump into verses 8 through number 10. This king of righteousness, right? This was the translation of his name. This king of righteousness and this king of Salem, which means peace. He pronounced a blessing over Abraham as only he could do as the priest of the most high God. In a similar way, Jesus pronounced an eternal blessing over all whom he is saving. As only Jesus could do as the priest of the most high God. Friends, this blessing from Jesus. And what is that blessing? It is the gospel that leads unto salvation. This blessing from Jesus results in peace. This is an incredible word. We touched on it a little bit last week, but peace is a word. It's a a destination. It It is a thing that this world is so enamored with. Right When you think about it, this world is, is grasping for and looking for just a little bit of peace at every turn. Right, They're looking for that in maybe self-help books or philosophies of this world. Maybe they're just looking in pleasure, fulfilling their, their own desires and the things of this world. Maybe they're trying to find that peace in money or popularity or status. Thinking those things will fulfill the longing of their heart and that ultimately it would bring them a settled peace. In their life. We know that the things of this world will never bring us lasting peace. They're inadequate to do that. We know only lasting eternal peace is only offered through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so friends, this morning, I wonder, do you have peace in your life? You look at the day-to-day interactions. You look at your schedule. You look at your family. You look at the state of your mind and your thoughts, your heart, your reactions, your responses to the things of this world. I wonder, do you have peace in your life? This morning, as we even look at Hebrews chapter number seven, we can look at Melchizedek, this king of Salem that represented peace and Jesus Christ fulfilling perfectly the role of Melchizedek. He offers us not just peace in this world, but he also offers us peace in the world to come, eternity. And that is incredible hope for us all. This blessing, the gospel that leads to salvation, it results in peace. Peace understood biblically, it's more than the absence of conflict. But it goes on a step further uh, to resolve and restore a previously broken and hostile relationship. So this is where Melchizedek matters. We have a problem. We have a need. And the person of Melchizedek right here in Genesis chapter number 14, alluded to in Psalm 110 and recorded in the New Testament from our author of Hebrews chapter number 7, we see Melchizedek standing in as this type of Christ in the Old Testament. It's a picture, a foreshadowing of the role And the function that Jesus Christ provides for our life. So Melchizedek matters. Why? Because the author of Hebrews is using this somewhat mysterious, 
misunderstood, unique character in the Old Testament to establish this historical argument that the priesthood of Jesus is is better and it is superior than that of Aaron and the Levitical order. So in examining this point, that Melchizedek receives tithes and offerings from Abraham and is superior to Levi in verses 8 through 10, what's our big point here? The author is closing out this historical argument to lay what? To lay down the foundation to prove that Jesus is a superior priest and that Jesus is the rightful king over our lives. And that's what this story of redemption, as men, we heard about the big story, as Pastor Andy alluded to even this morning during our worship service. God is working out his redemptive plan from beginning to end whether it be through the covenants, and then we see a new covenant that was created that we celebrate as we observe the Lord's table, a new covenant in what? The blood of Jesus Christ. The God of the universe is longing to be in relationship with his creation, to restore that which has been broken by our sin and by our rebellion. And right here in Hebrews 7, we see that redemptive narrative, that story of salvation continuing on and now available to us. And the year of our Lord, 2023, that is incredible when we think about that, the goodness and the grace and mercy of our Lord, that we have the hope of Jesus available to us through the holy, inspired, and inerrant word of God. So verse number eight, let's jump into our text. In the one case, Ties are received by whom? Mortal men. We're going to see a contrast now between Jesus Christ and this order of Melchizedek and the Levitical order, that of Aaron, and the contrast here between mortal men and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, we were reminded that uh, this individual, this character, this man, Melchizedek, there is no beginning and end recorded of his lineage or genealogy. Thus, the order of Melchizedek, as the author of Hebrews remind us, is, is forever. There is no end to it. And so linking Jesus into this connection with Melchizedek, it gives us a contrast between the Levitical order versus this order of Melchizedek. The Levitical order is of mortal men, by mortal men. The Greek here makes it even more clear as it could be translated, in the one case, ties are received by literally dying men. The author is calling his readers then and challenging us even today to examine the quality of this priesthood. And the quality of this priesthood is rooted in who Melchizedek is as the priest in contrast to that of the Levites. And that of Aaron, as we saw previously in chapter number six. Aaron has a beginning and an end, right? He was born and he died. And his priesthood then is passed on, right? His function as a priest is limited to the span of the few years that the Lord allows. He he dies and a new priest is appointed and so on and so on. Generation after generation, a new priest is appointed and needed. Why? Because of the mortality of mankind. In contrast, 
What is the quality of the priesthood of this line of Melchizedek of which Jesus is connected? This priesthood is not limited to the span of his life. Again, we have no record in Scripture of his birth or death. Therefore, his priesthood is to be understood as never-ending and forever, as chapter 6, verse number 20 proclaimed. If Jesus is eternal, can we not surely proclaim that he is then his role as both priest and king are eternal. And his role as both priest and king are to be understood as eternal. Never ending. Never handed over. Always sufficient. Always adequate. Never ending. This is the, the function of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as both priest and king. And if he is eternal, here's the hope for you today. The righteousness and the peace that he offers is also eternal. The righteousness that Jesus offers us through his shed blood. Providing propitiation for our sins. The debt has been paid once and for all. It is, it is done. There is no more uh, debt that needs to be paid. There's nothing that we need to add to it. Jesus Christ, his death, his gift on the cross of Calvary, it is both sufficient and efficient for those that place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. We also see in verse number eight that where there were many in terms of both sacrifices and priests, there is now just what? One. One person. One sacrifice. One priest. One king. One mediator. Jesus Christ. By grace alone. By faith alone in Christ alone. The Levitical order has ended. The eternal priest and king is now superior from the order of Melchizedek. As we know, as we look forward to verse number 25, he always lives to make intercession for us. So closing out this third and final point, we see one more important historical observation that our author makes concerning the superiority of this priest. And we see this in verses 9 and 10. Let's read our our text there in verses 9 and 10. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. At first glance, again, these verses seem a bit odd. Again, you're maybe scratching your head saying, where's my takeaway in my daily Christian life on this one? But there are some important observations that we can be thankful of in regards to the quality of this priesthood. Again, pointing to the eternality of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see a principle in verses 9 and 10 that's represented here. And this this principle is described as covenantal representation. 
That's simply a a fancy term uh, for a simple concept. What is covenantal representation? It simply means this, that descendants are considered to have participated in their ancestors' actions for good or for evil. A positive example of covenantal representation would be back in Genesis 15 where we have this promise that Abraham's offspring would be multiplied and blessed. Why? Because Abraham believed God, right? He believed God and he was blessed. And subsequent generations were blessed as a result. In a negative sense, we see this covenantal representation. We have uh, the life of Adam, father of all humanity who disobeyed and sinned against God. And this principle of covenantal representation is recorded in Romans 5 verse 12 where Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Covenantal representation. The sin passed on from generation to generation because of Adam's failure. Subsequent generations being blessed and multiplied because Abraham believed. These are examples of covenantal representation. That's what we see here in really verses 9 and 10. We see uh, covenantal representation on really full display right here. As Abraham was the one who offered the tithes and offering to Melchizedek, what acknowledging the, that he was the priest of the Most High God, and what is the author of Hebrews doing? That even the Levitical priestly order, every priest that would have come after Aaron, actually participated in the presentation of those types, recognizing and acknowledging that what? Melchizedek was a superior line, a a superior priestly line than even that of Aaron and the Levites. Levi would have been Abraham's great grandson. So at the point of Abraham offering a a tithe from the spoils of war back to Melchizedek. Levi, in verse number 10, would have still been in the loins of his ancestor. So the author is working simply to establish that all priests from the Levitical line would have acknowledged that Melchizedek's priesthood was superior to their own through this action of Abraham offering tithes to Melchizedek. So here we see at the end of verse number 10, we see a shift come. We've been anchored in Genesis 14 as that biblical narrative was the backdrop of our passage here in Hebrews 7 verses 1 through 10. As we transition into verse number 11 through really the remainder of chapter number 7, we're actually going to be looking back not to Genesis now, but to Psalm 110 verse number 4 yet again as we have in previous chapters, where the author of Hebrews will quote Psalm 110, verse number 4. He's going to shift away from this historical perspective, and now he will pick up a theological perspective. What do I mean by that? 
What is theology? It is the study of God. You're looking at who God is. What is who is his character? How does he function? What is our relationship with that God? This is ultimately the study of theology. And so we move away from a historical narrative to now appealing to who Jesus is, what he has done, and its impact and role in our life, its implications on our life. And so Melchizedek resembles Jesus, but is distinct from him. Melchizedek represents Abraham before God and blesses him. Melchizedek receives tithes from Abraham and is superior to Levi. We see these, these three big points where Melchizedek is, is now better than Aaron and Levi. And now Jesus stands in the role of the priest and the king and perfectly fulfills what Melchizedek was foreshadowing and looking forward to. Jesus perfectly fulfills that role as priest and king. Why? Because Jesus is better. And not only is Jesus better from a doctrinal and theological and historicity perspective, but Jesus is better, friends, for you personally. This isn't just about knowledge and understanding of narratives and characters and, and movement in this book and in the Old Testament, New Testament. Friends, I wonder, has this knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is, have you received it personally and relationally? I wonder, do you, do you just know about Jesus? Rather, are you known by Jesus? Are you in relationship with this priest, King, Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in his work? Are you trusting in his perfect representation as the priest before a holy God on your behalf? Or are you trusting in your own works, trying to earn favor in the eyes of God by what you do and how you act? There's a rest this morning as we even sing. There's a rest in the gospel where we can stop striving and we can simply cast all of our burdens on the Lord, knowing that he is a good and gracious king who cares perfectly for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Making sense of Melchizedek means that we are understanding the problem, the need, and the resolution. The problem begins with understanding that without Christ and before Christ, we are in sin. We are in sin. We uh, recently, I, I, I've been working through Romans, and Romans chapter number eight, verses one through eight says this There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We sang of this this morning. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can we say amen to that? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. This is going to be the key theme of the second half of Hebrews chapter number 7. How did he do that? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to be set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and Here's this word again, peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. A beautiful passage describing this relationship between the law and our flesh and sin and the holiness of God, the the righteous requirement of the law. So as we continue to move through the second half again of Hebrews 7, we'll see this incredible truth that Jesus is better even than the law. The Levitical line, the priest Aaron and all the priests that would come who, who faithfully stood in and offered sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of of Israel. It's inadequate. How? It's inadequate from an eternal perspective. The sacrificial system, the law was inadequate to do it. We could not keep this law perfectly. We were always going to be marred by sin, and we needed a perfect high priest, Jesus Christ And so for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son and condemning sin in the flesh, Jesus took our place. And in that great exchange, Jesus taking our sin and our unrighteousness, he gives us his eternal and perfect righteousness so that when a holy God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees the perfect righteousness of his son. Jesus has accomplished what the law could never do. The problem of sin and the need for a Savior. The flesh is hostile to God. Do you remember James chapter number four, verse number four? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Friends, Making sense of Melchizedek first draws us to the reminder that we have a deep and spiritual and eternal problem before us. Before Christ and without Christ, we are of the world. And if we are of the world, we are described as an enemy of God. We are hostile in conflict with the God of this universe. There is a conflict. There's an issue between us and God because of what our sin, and that must be resolved. There must be a reconciliation. There must be restoration. And friends, we couldn't do that on our own. We could not stand in our own place and, and represent ourselves in our own works, in our own righteousness before a holy God. Our righteousness before God is, as, is like filthy rags. There's a conflict, an issue that must be resolved. And this is where the peace of God that is ours in Christ Jesus becomes such a great hope. When we stop striving, when we stop leaning onto our own understandings, and when we we give our lives to the Lord, when we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, there is peace 
that is provided for the hostility and the conflict between us and God. And that is through Jesus Christ. So remember this morning that the King of Righteousness and the King of Peace, Jesus Christ has not only resolved the conflict, but also restored the relationship between us and the Father. Friends, that is incredible hope. Positionally before God, if we are in Christ by faith, if we are in Christ, the righteousness of God positionally is ours for eternity. Both now and eternity to come. The righteousness of Christ positionally before a holy God. We are as if we have never sinned. Jesus Christ stands in the gap as our mediator, representing us perfectly in his righteousness before the Father. Friends, do you see that God, through Jesus Christ, truly is a good, good Father? Do you see this good and gracious King, Jesus Christ, who came and took on flesh, was born of a servant, the likeness of men, to be found in fashion, as man, he humbled himself, become obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Shed his blood. Paid for sin. Was buried in a tomb and on the third day rose again, victorious over sin, over death, over hell. In accordance with the scriptures, friends, this is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is great hope for us today because the same gospel that saves us and keeps us and that we have the promise of eternal security, that same gospel that keeps us is the same gospel that will sustain you now in your present time of trouble and difficulty. Whatever present circumstances that you're facing right now that you're discouraged and dismayed and troubled about. That same grace, that same help, that same mercy that we even sang about this morning, it is available right now. There's great hope for us as we remember Melchizedek, who he represents, and how Jesus perfectly fulfills this role of priest and king. There's a problem of sin, a need for a savior, and the resolution is in Jesus Christ. I'll finish with this reading from Ephesians chapter number two, verses 12 through 21. We read this passage uh, this weekend at our men's retreat. It was fresh on mind, but I think it fits so perfectly to our topic here this, this morning from Hebrews 7. Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 21. It does paint this beautiful picture of this present reality where Paul states this, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is before Christ, right? Without Christ. We were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, the body of Christ. Looking forward to the remainder of chapter number seven, all these realities affirm that Jesus is a guarantor of a better covenant. In verse 22, and as such, he is able to save to the uttermost. And he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, we're going to dive into this and so much more next Sunday. But today, what's our takeaway? Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus, no matter what your present circumstances may be. And remember that you have an advocate in Jesus Christ because Jesus is the better priest, because he is the perfect king. Do you remember Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Amen for his perfect life. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, are you thankful for that mercy? Are you thankful for that grace? Are you thankful for the help that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ provides for us? This is the superior priesthood of Melchizedek. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Commit these things to the Lord and look forward to finishing this chapter next week. God, we come to you right now. We just thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, who is God, who is eternal, who perfectly stands as our high priest and our king, interceding on our behalf. God, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning who has never truly placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, Maybe they know of Jesus, but they've never known Jesus in a personal relationship. God, I pray that you would draw men, women, young people to yourself even this morning as we're confronted with the truth of the gospel that we have a problem of sin. We are in hostility with the holy God. But God, we thank you 
That Romans 6.23 doesn't stop with the wages of sin is death, but it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, I pray that there's somebody here who doesn't know of that gift and has never received that gift. I pray that today would maybe be the day of their salvation, that they would admit their sin, admit their need for a Savior. They would repent of their sin and turn to you. Father, I pray that you would give them the gift of faith, placing their confidence, present and future hope, not in themselves, but in what Jesus has done. Father, I pray that you'd be faithful to your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.